0: reading from the almost impossibly difficult book of Romans, chapters 5 through 8. This morning's lectionary text was one which seemed to fit where we were going to begin the second year of my time with you here as your pastor. Begins in chapter 5, we're going to read today, beginning reading with verse 15. But before I read, let me back up and read 13 and 14. 14. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by effecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment sin would become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin, Then our text for contemplation this morning. For what I am doing I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find in the principle that evil is present in me the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner person. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched person that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. Thank goodness the text doesn't stop there. If you continue reading in chapter 8, it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit... The things of the Spirit. May God bless us today with an understanding of the nature of our life here in this earth. It has been a great week. July 4th is always a good week. Many people are on vacation, planning to go on vacation, or just getting back from vacation. So July was always great. And not only that, but it was only ninety three degrees yesterday. Praise God. Texas in ninety three is like eighty somewhere else, right? feels like we're in the heaven. July the 4th, though, 1776 was a big big date in history. We didn't know how big it was at the time, but now these more than 200 years later. It's become very obvious that it was a huge date because what was achieved and declared that day had yet to be achieved into the future. In fact, the complete reality of what it was declared that day had to be won through a war. But its completion has not occurred even this day all these many years later. There is still a battle for freedom going on within this nation and around the world in many ways. The Declaration of Independence was adopted by our founding fathers and the Continental Congress. It was written by Thomas Jefferson mostly, but he was assisted by a committee. They must have been Methodists. Ben Franklin, Robert Livingston, John Adams, and Roger Sherman. And even though it was actually voted on on July the 2nd, it was approved And it's spoken about in a different way and became effective on July the 4th. Don't ask me to explain that, but that's what Google does to us. Tells about things we didn't ever really need to know. That freedom, though, was won at a price. It became real April the 11th, 1783, when a peace treaty was signed with Great Britain. But the battle was not over, was it? The War of 1812 was yet to come. And we think maybe the, battle, the War of 1812 might be it, but there's yet the battle to be fought of the Spanish-American War, wasn't there? There was a battle to be fought within our own nation for freedom in the Civil War. There have been battles to be fought between nations around the world in some form or another about freedom. There was World War II. Then there was a the war to end all wars, World War II, but it didn't. It didn't accomplish that fact, although it did accomplish a lot. Sometimes this generation, I think, struggles to appreciate freedom. I say that because as a young man, I can remember sitting in college during the Vietnam War. Now, you have to understand, you have to go back, you have to hit the fast-forward button and go back to when I was a young man in college. I was a little redneck country boy from the farm out in the rural area. And I didn't think there was much good in the city, even southern cities. And I can remember sitting in those classes when wisdom began to be spouted from all kinds of corners, when people were saying ugly things about the war in Vietnam, the people who were going there, the protesters were rising, and my heart was boiling during those years in high school and college. Because, see, life was simple to me. If there was a war for my country, I was for it. That had to be good, right? In those younger days, I thought whatever my country was doing was what I should support. And though I'm much older now, there's still a part of me that, okay, I'm still red, white, and blue. And there's still battles being fought. Sometimes I don't like them. A lot of times I don't like them anymore. And sometimes I don't even feel like they're actual wars by the way we fight them and who we're fighting for. But more often than not, at the core of what we're doing, we're still fighting fighting for freedom, not only there, but even with our own nation. Yesterday on the news, I was watching the news, and what did I see? Something I do not like to see, but I saw it again, and it reminded me of unkind things, buses that were unloading people who have been trying to immigrate to this country. Why? Because we're the land of the free and the brave, right? Who doesn't want to come here who lives in so many of these other countries They want to come here because there's freedom here, because there's freedom of expression and freedom of life, because there's freedom in government. There's freedom of opportunity. You can choose what you want to do. Every young man and every young woman has the opportunity to be whatever they feel like they want to be in this country. They have the opportunity to do what it is they want to do. Now, this young group over here is sitting here thinking, not me. Well, not yet. Yeah, I know there's a war between teenagers and parents. I get that. Uh, That's called uh, a revolution, actually, in your household, and it's a necessary kind of thing. It's part of growing up. Sooner or later, you will realize that you need to be set free, and that will usually come several years before you're ready. Some of you are probably already feeling the urges now, but then again, several years later, after you've had your freedom for a while, you'll look back and wonder why you ever wanted it. But, you know, that won't come till later either. So this sermon is for today, and later, well, you'll just have to deal with it. And it starts really early, doesn't it? I have a beautiful, almost eight-month... I guess she is eight months now. She's eight instead of seven now. Eight-month-old granddaughter. And, you know, every child... There's usually one in every family, if you have more than one child. There's one that's a complacent child, and then there's the other child. <laughs> Michael Lou is the other child. Uh, she is only eight months old but what does she do she already wants to talk now she's not supposed to talk yet she's already got a mouthful of teeth and she does like to bite also and what she likes to really do is to growl at you if you're not doing what she wants this is most clearly exhibited when you're holding her and she's watching her mother and then her mother walks off in the other room And she'll just sit there sometimes on the floor when she sees her mother walking away, and she'll just do her arms up like this, and she'll go, uh, uh," like, what are you doing? Get over here with me. I'm your child. Come and hold me forever, constantly. You think that's a strong-willed child? You bet your bottom it is. That is Rachel reincarnated, all direct descendants of Sally, my charming wife, I was the child in the middle, but I was always the impatient one. I was always the one who was ready to strike out on my own. We all love our freedom, don't we? But freedom, freedom has to have boundaries. And my dad, he was so good about teaching me those boundaries. Those boundaries were exactly what he said they were, and I was to obey them. And I remember the day that I thought I'd finally grown up because he was asking me to do something and then condemning me in a way that I thought was unfair. And so I declared my freedom as a young man. And for the first time, my dad was silent. He didn't say anything. He also never said anything about what I was wanting freedom from for the rest of my life. I think he actually realized he'd been wrong. It scared me when I rebelled against my daddy because he was a lot bigger than I was even then. But I was so angry at how he was attacking my freedom in that moment. I already had a job. I was independent in many ways, and that day I staked my claim to it. Now, you say, why all this talk about freedom and independence? Well, because freedom is a, is a God-given right, we think, in this country. People need to be free, but there are always limitations to that freedom, aren't there? There's the freedom of other people that has to be considered. There's the freedom of, of Exercising our freedom in appropriate ways. Now, there are many times I have urges to exercise my freedom in ways that are inappropriate, and those have to be curtailed. And I've learned to do that gradually over time. And you say, "Well, what does that have to do with what we're talking about today?" It has everything to do with, I think, the freedom we search for in our spiritual lives. One of the things that has been obvious for me as we have grown along and moved along in this world of ours is that freedom from sin is what people want. They want to be free of the entanglements that sin causes in our lives, and they want to be free to live the way they want to and still please God. And those kind of thoughts come into conflict often, don't they? They come into conflict just like it did with, between you and your parents when you're at different stages in your life. When you want to exercise from some freedom, and they want you to exercise some freedom too, but sometimes in a different way than what you want to The same is true in our bodies, except that it is innate in our bodies. That's what Paul is trying to say, I think, in this passage of Scripture. Now, let me pause for a moment to recognize and remind you that there are books, series of books, written about just these four short chapters in the book of Romans. These are a tight, difficult theological argument where Paul is trying to explain the doctrine of salvation. He does a pretty good job of it, but because he's so... Uh, hard to understand because so much of it is so difficult for us to grasp. We oftentimes struggle with the different parts of it. And this is the part right here where people disagree strongly about who this is. Some say at this point, Paul was really referring to his Jewish life in the, in the law, not to his Christian life when he'd be free from this. Perhaps that's true, perhaps. Some say this has to do with Paul before he was really a mature Christian, And uh, when he got to be a mature Christian, he sounds differently in other places in the scriptures. There's some reason to believe that. Uh, However, to me personally, and according to the experience I've had in my life, not just with my own personal life, but what others have shared with me through the years, this passage is actually a perfect description of what most of us experience most of our lives until we think the battle has been won. I'm going to come back to that part about the battle having been won. But let me begin with this thought. That even when we are in Christ, even when we are believers, the battle is not over. That's what John Wesley thought. That's why he believed the doctrine of sanctification was so incredibly important. Because salvation was more than just being pardoned from your sin or forgiven. Salvation was also the experience of the defeat of sin in your life to some degree. And he held out that it was actually possible by the power of the Spirit, not by our own strength, coming back to that too later, to live a life that removes sin from our lives, where we actually lived according to the grace of God and by the power of the grace of God. Now, understand when I say we got away from the sin in our lives, I mean the intentional sin. There is no way, however, as Paul is clearly saying here, that we can ever escape the power of inherited sin completely. We are humans. We will sin. We will do things by error. We will do things without realizing it. We will do things because we lack understanding, things which are sinful. But until we grow in our faith and our knowledge of the Scriptures and God, until we have submitted more of our life to Christ, we won't even know we're sinning when we're sinning. That's a wonderful thing about being a sinner. You get to be one forever. Until you die and go to heaven. Some people say, well, I want to be completely free of all sins now. Not only the sins I commit, but inherited sins. You've just asked to die. If you want to do that, that's okay with me. I mean, that's one way to get there. And we're all going to get there sooner or later if we're believers. But it's a little radical, right? It's a little radical. What we want to do is find a way on this earth to get rid of the taint of sin in our lives. And that is possible, too, in much larger degrees than most Christians experience, why would that be? Well, but the the pull of the sins of the flesh are strong. They are very strong. On our trip to Europe, I was reminded once again how far behind these Europeans are. (laughs) Or maybe how far ahead they are. Europeans don't have needs for closets that are as large as bedrooms, for the most part. Only the extremely wealthy might have those needs in Europe, but the common person lives much like my parents lived in the 1950s and 60s, meaning they have a closet about this long. You know how much closet space that is? That's, that's one week's clothes, right? Uh, In America now, when we built new homes, you walk into homes that are rooms for closets. And then as Sally and I were driving around, just because she had the urge yesterday to visit the cemetery where her parents and grandparents are, we drove through the country, and we drove right up through the town of Farmersville where we used to live, that almost perfect little town that now's a dump. Uh, Don't tell anybody from Farmersville I said that. It's so old-looking now. And as we were driving through the country out in the middle of nowhere except for the farmhouses, there were four rows of about 20 storage buildings each sitting out in the middle of nowhere because even country people have more junk than they can store in the barn now. (laughs) They don't have that in Europe like we do here. So are they ahead of us or behind us? It's an interesting thought. Life is a lot less complicated there Living in a country where they don't need any air conditioning, they think. Although a night or two, I was a little sticky while I was sleeping. I don't like to sleep stickily, but I did. (laughs) It's better than not sleeping at all, right? And it wouldn't matter what I wanted or not. There wasn't any air air conditioning, so don't whine. You're in Europe, do as the Europeans do, raise the door and hope nobody comes in, right? Other than the flies and an occasional mosquito or two. So... It is an experience being over there, and you start looking at America, and you're so glad to get back. You know, one of the things that really disturbs me is they don't know how to speak over there. They, they speak in languages that just aren't sensible to me. And when you ask them if they know English, they look at you like, in, I'm in Spain, in no English. Or they'll say, I don't speak English. That's a message for us, subtle, but not so subtle, Right? It's different in their world. But you know, I was glad to get back to the U.S. of A. It's nice to go visit Spain, but they can kind of have it for me. I'm glad to come back home. I like America. I I don't know about the closets thing. That's another thing. But there's so much over here about being free that I enjoy, that are a part of my life and how I think, the opportunity to do and be what I want to be, the opportunity to own a house and not just an apartment. The opportunity to have a car that could be, you know, full-size car, you know, you could actually drive down the street in without hitting cars on either side, because over there you need a Volkswagen or a bicycle or a moped, and if I go back there to stay someday, I may buy the first thing I may buy would be a, a motor scooter, because they're safer over there than the cars, because the cars knock each other's mirrors off all the time going through the streets. It's a quite a trip, quite actually. Uh, In this passage that Paul's talking about, he's talking about this conflict of natures, that of the flesh and that of the spirit. In the Greek, it's the sarkē. Sark is flesh, and the spirit is pneuma. And the life in the flesh is one thing, and the life of the spirit is another. And the fleshly desires will always creep up there. As John Wesley liked to say, we'll never outgrow being tempted because we're human. But the power of the Spirit is able to overwhelm and to defeat the power of the flesh. But it's not easy. It's a continual battle for freedom in life in the Spirit. Sometimes I meet people who have quit battling. You know what that means? It means they think they've attained all they can attain in the Spirit life. It means they think that their life is so immune from sin that really most of what they do is not sinful anymore. And yet here's Paul, probably the greatest example in the Scripture other than Jesus, of a person who is living according to the Spirit, who is still struggling with the power of, this, of sin in his life and sin in his flesh. I think sometimes we get a little comfortable especially people in other churches, right? Not us, but other people we know. We get a little comfortable with our sins, and so we kind of pat them on the head and say, okay, quiet down a little bit. You know, I'll come back to you, but right now I need to be more spiritual, right? We like the freedom to sin as well as the freedom to not sin. Does that make sense to you? Sometimes we choose to do that which we know is wrong, even though we know in our spirit that it's wrong. That's what Paul is talking about here. Now, sometimes we fool ourselves into believing that we're really not that sinful. It's the other people who are that sinful. And that's what frightens me most. Is when people give up the battle. I remember once a long time ago, of course, when we were talking about the favorite sin in my family, which happens to me, I left my water at my chair which happens to be my sin of eating a little too much occasionally. And I can remember my wife in a moment of frustration, and she has a few of those occasionally. Uh, Thank you. And she said something about, you're just going to always be this way. And I said, well, I'm that way now. And I've been that way a long time. But I haven't given up yet. I'm still fighting To which she made a face. I can't remember the exact face, and I shall not try to repeat it. (laughs) But it was easy for her to say to me, you might as well give up. You're not going to quit eating it. Because as soon as i tell her I was going to lose weight, the thing I'd want to do is the thing I didn't do. Tell me I'm going to go on a diet, and I'd gain five pounds in five days. I'm going to go on a diet next week. I'll be five pounds heavier before that day gets there out of fear the chocolate I'm going to (laughs) miss. Or the chicken fried steak. Or the bread. Ah, the wheat belly diet. It's become my favorite phase. As my wife gets skinnier and younger, I'm racing to keep ahead of her. It's funny how 20 pounds on her doesn't look like 20 pounds off of me. I don't understand that. But anyway. I say this to say this. Don't get caught up with thinking Paul leaves it there. Because he goes on to say, who will deliver me from this body of death? And that's Jesus Christ. The penalty of sin for me is not death. Except physically. Even though I sin, even though I make mistakes and do do things I should not do, I do not think that any of those sins or those mistakes condemn me to death because I've been forgiven In Jesus Christ. I am in Christ. In Christo. And as long as I am in Christo, even though I'm committing a sin, I am still saved. Otherwise, we'd be like the fellow who came into my office one day when I was a postmaster, heard I was going into ministry, came in, and wanted to start talking about what I was going to do. Of course, he was a preacher. And of course, he was of a different denomination. And he said, I just don't understand you Methodists. I said, why? He said, who would want to be a Methodist? Well, I did. And I said, what's the problem with that? He says, well, you Methodists, you know, you believe in falling from grace. If you commit a sin, you're lost. And I said, who told you that, that we believe that? Well, that's what I've always heard. That's what I've always been told. I said, well, you've been going to the wrong church. Because yes. they don't know what we believe. We do believe in eternal in unconditional security. As long as we believe in Jesus Christ, we go to heaven, even if we sin." We don't believe every little sin throws us into a a rigor where we're in danger of, of hell. It's only when we turn away from Christ that we're in danger to hell. As long as we are in Christ and have a belief in Christ, even though we make mistakes and even though we commit a sin, we're still not going to hell. If you die while you're sinning by speeding, you're not going to hell because of it. Same thing, by the way, with suicide. Well, there's some people out there that teach whenever somebody commits suicide. Well, the last thing they do is commit murder, they're going to hell. I just don't believe that. I don't believe the scripture teaches that. I believe we go to heaven or hell because of relationship with Jesus Christ. Sin is a whole other thing. It does rage a war in our body, but it does not have the final victory because we are in Christ. We have the possibility of serving the spirit, so we can even defeat sin when we're at our best. Oh, by best days, I slay sin. It's a battle, and I win, and it's great. I feel pumped up by it. You know, I lose weight even some of those days. You know, it just snooks out of me. It just seeps out of me. Some days, my mind has really good thoughts. And on other days, I'm thinking, uh, well, let's just don't check too closely today, God. Because this is not my best day. So maybe today, you're not having your best day. Or maybe you are having a great day. Either way, don't get too cocky. The battle's not over. It's the same about our, our nation. Yes, we're a free country. But if we don't keep voting, and if we don't keep being active in our lives politically and keep on doing the things that make our nation great, this nation too can go away. There's a responsibility that comes with freedom, not only politically, but also spiritually. And our job is to pass on that knowledge of the text to others. So what is the point today of this sermon, Doug? The point is simply this. Know that there's a battle going on in you continually. If you fail to acknowledge the battle, then you are losing the battle. It's just as simple as that. Know that when you acknowledge the battle that is going on, and when you exercise life in the Spirit and call upon the power of the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ can make you victorious over the sin that you're battling with. You can never do it. You can never be good enough. You can never be attentive enough. You can never be good enough in your flesh to deserve heaven. Give up on it. Don't even try to earn it. When you get to heaven, they say, why are you here? Do not say, because I went to church every Sunday. Do not say, because I prayed every night. Do not say, because I never committed adultery. Do not say, because I, I never killed anyone. Do not say, any reason of anything you did on earth, just claim the precious blood of Jesus who's forgiven you for your sins. And then they will say, welcome home, child. Enter into this life. Don't try and convince God you're sinless. Don't even try and convince yourself you're sinless. Certainly don't try and convince your neighbor because they'll look at you and go, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. And if you're going to try and convince your neighbor you're sinless, please don't tell them you go to church here. (laughs) Tell them you go to church up on the hill, someplace up there. They have several choices up there. But don't tell them here because we're sinners here. Not always intentionally, and sometimes we don't even realize it. We are also victorious sinners here. We are winning many battles over sin. And because of that, God calls us his children. Because we're winning the battles not in our name, but in Jesus' name.